It's good to be in church, and it's a real privilege to be able to share God's message with you. Thank you for being here, um, and I trust that today the message is going to stir faith in your heart and excitement in your heart about who God is. Let me tell you a, um, give you a little bit of insight into how this particular message series came about, um, and there are all sorts of ways that God speaks to us, um, and all sorts of kind of creative planning that goes into series, um, but a couple of months ago, I was sitting in our home group time, and uh, we were discussing one of the series, and I can't quite even remember what the series was, but guys were kind of grappling through the goodness of God and what it meant to them, and um, whether it might have even been the favor series, but what happened at some point is that one of our home group people, I won't say who, blurted out with real raw honesty and just said, Cole, can I just be honest? Um, I just, honestly, I don't know how God would be good towards me because I just, I just feel like I always disappoint God. Like I just, when I think about how much I should be doing and where I should be at in my faith, and I just, I just feel like I frustrate him. I just, I just, I mean, I know I shouldn't, but I just feel like I let him down. And, and, and so in this moment, I used all the self-control in the world not to jump in and say something, because as a good home group leader, you're meant to leave space, not be able to answer every question. And so I just let that settle and saw what the others would say, hoping that somebody in our home group would jump to her kind of defense and go, that's not what God thinks about you. But after kind of a moment of silence, somebody else said, me too. And then somebody else said, yeah, I feel the same way. And then somebody else said, it's just so difficult because I just feel like I'm always letting God down. And I sat in this moment, and let me tell you, these guys in our home group are wonderful humans. Their hearts are open to God. They're here in church. And, and yet this, this felt like a very raw, real, honest struggle for most of our home group. Like I let God down. I disappoint Him. I'm not good enough. And so why would He be good towards me? Which is understandable, but I've got to be honest, in the same breath, my heart, like, there was this, like, real wow moment for me, because, and maybe it's because of the last couple of years about becoming a dad, there's no doubt for me that there are times, sometimes 10 times before 7 a.m. in the morning, that my kids frustrate, or perhaps disappoint, or perhaps, you know, um, whatever, they, they, they do stuff that makes me frustrated, but it, it's almost... I, I, it's like I almost can't help gravitating back to this like love and gratitude for my kids that far overshadows and I forget almost the disappointment or the frustration. It's like I, I can't help the love that I have to my kids. I can't help the way that I want to be good towards them. And so perhaps that's given me some perspective, but certainly spending time reading the Word has realigned or adjusted or caused the correct view of God that my heart was beating towards my home group going like, man, I, I, you need to get this. Like, you really need to get this. Otherwise, your whole life is going to feel like you're not good enough and you don't have what it takes or you've disappointed God or you've let Him down or you don't have access to the goodness of God. And the Bible's actually got multiple stories where it gives this kind of vantage point into somebody who has the wrong view of God. Like one particular story, Mondley actually shared it last week, um, is about 
where a master gives three different people talents, five, two, and one. The five goes and multiplies um, and gets all the praise from this master who's representing God. The two doubles his, and the, the other guy buries it, and the reason he buries it is because he says this, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, or I knew that you were a harsh man, and so I buried what, I, what you gave me. I didn't multiply. I didn't live life to the full. I didn't expand. I didn't have a life that was one of abundance and grace and fullness. I just buried and held on because there was a fear of my relationship with you. And God, God doesn't necessarily in that particular passage unpack his goodness, but it is interesting to note that your, vantage point, your viewpoint of God, the way that you see God or experience God or think God is, will dictate how you live your life. There's another account, and I'm sure Hilt's going to allude to it in week three, where God is trying to realign our thinking of who he is when he says that your earthly fathers, when you ask them for bread, they won't give you a snake, or you ask them for fish, they won't give you a scorpion. And then he goes, your earthly fathers who are evil by nature... And he's not trying to diss human dads. He's just trying to say that like, even in their best efforts, they're not as holy or not as good as I am. Because he goes on to say that I being your father in heaven, how much more will I be able to do? And so part of the thinking around this particular series came out of this idea like, how much of who God is do we not know yet? Unto us. Unto us a child is given. What does it mean to receive God? Is it just how many of us are sitting in the room or online and a Christian relationship means that you escape hell and you get to heaven? How much more is this God who we serve unto us? And so we're going to be unpacking that just a little. And I really believe it's extremely important in our Christian faith that we understand this. In fact, you can kind of block our Christian faith into three segments or questions. Who is God? Who are we? And then how should we live? Who is God? Who am I? And then how should I live? Most Christians, for whatever reason, end up answering the third question first, spending more time answering the third question. How should I live? What should I do? What, what moral code do I need to live by? What do I need to stop doing? And, and I actually believe that we need to get the order right. We need to spend a majority of our time figuring out who God is, which will inevitably shape who we are, which will just spill out into how we should live. And so this series is really unpacking the idea of who is God? Now, many of us have had this shaped by a variety of things. Some of it's a, it's a, it's a bad relationship with a parent or a, a kind of authority figure, and so that's kind of given us a skewed idea of who God is. Perhaps it's a wrong theological training or doctrine that you've been given, or maybe it's just a bad relationship with a Christian that has shaped or skewed your idea. The good news is is if we take a deep dive into the Word of God, we're able to realign our view or our thinking of who God is. And if we get who God is, I tell you, we're going to see the abundance of God poured out through our lives. And so the key passage, as Hilt mentioned, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, you may have heard it. It's read often around Christmas times. And it says this, for to us, a child is born, or some versions say, for unto us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. 
The government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Can we pray for a moment? Father, I pray today as we unpack this verse that you would speak to us throughout this series, God, that we would have a revelation of who you are. And so thank you, Holy Spirit, that you would work right now in every single one of our hearts, deeply and personally, in Jesus' name. Amen? So this passage, in a moment, as you saw earlier, we're going to jump into Wonderful Counselor. Then the following week is going to be Adele, Mighty God, don't miss that, Everlasting Father with Hilt, and then on Christmas Day, Prince of Peace. Um, But before we jump into those four particular titles or look at Wonderful Counselor, I want to look at the verse or the, the kind of what's preceding those four names that are given to Jesus. So this particular passage is a prophetic word, which basically means something that's spoken of the future of this Messiah, this Jesus, the Savior that's going to come to the world. And so it says, for unto us a child is born and to us a son is given. That word given It literally means this, to be used with the greatest latitude of application. Meaning, I can't give you more. Like, this is the most I could give you. It reminds me of the passage where Jesus says that I've cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. The east never meets the west. And the east doesn't stop going east and the west doesn't stop going west. It's like, I can't give you more. It's like where God speaks to Abraham and he says, you want to know how much? Count the stars. You want to know how much? Count the, 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 the grains of sand on the seashore. Imagine that was your job. He's like, so when God says, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given, this word given means it's to the nth degree. Like it, it's, I, I, I couldn't, even if I wanted to, I couldn't give you more of myself. And I wonder how often you and I just have a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of God. A top-up of God. A Sunday experience. And God's like, I have given you my son. This abundant, lavished, infinitely to the nth degree gift. And then it says this, and the government will be on his shoulders. Now, the Jewish people really hoped that meant that he was going to come and overthrow the Roman Empire, who they were kind of under, uh, subdued by. But that really wasn't what God was saying here. He's speaking about a spiritual authority and a spiritual responsibility. But the interesting imagery here is that it's on his shoulders. And in fact, when you go and look at the actual word shoulders here, it speaks about like, yes, the width of the shoulders, but actually the neck here. And it speaks about the fact that it's where you shoulder the heavy weight. And so Jesus says, I'm going to, God says, I'm going to give you a son, I'm going to give you a child, and it's going to be spiritual authority and responsibility that rests on his shoulders, not on yours. And I don't know about you, but I think many of us are carrying the heavy weight, the heavy load of the responsibility of providing for our families or coming up with the next good idea or working our business or changing ourselves or, or building that ministry. God's like, that's, that's on my shoulders. The heavy weight is for me. And I'm hoping that throughout the series that many of you are going to go, man, I've been carrying a heavy load. That's not mine. Provision is not mine. Peace is not mine. Protection is not mine. Healing is not mine. That heavy burden, that belongs on his shoulders. And you're going to see when we encounter 
wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace, how the weight moves from your shoulders to the one it was always meant to be on. And so let's unpack this idea of Oh, before I unpack the idea, let me just push a little further, because these, these four titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace, give us a glimpse. It's not all of who God is, but it certainly gives us a glimpse into who God is. Remember, that's the goal of the series. Unto us, what is this gift that has been given to us? And so the question is, do you know God as your Wonderful Counselor? Do you have a relationship with Him as your Everlasting Father? Do you know him as Almighty God and the Prince of Peace? And these four names are given prophetically to Jesus, because speaking about when Jesus walked here, but many believe that it's actually speaking of the Trinity, that these names are speaking of the Trinity, which would make sense because the book of Colossians says that the fullness of God rested in Jesus when he walked the earth, but they're four names, not three. It would have been just so much easier if they were speaking about the Trinity if there were three names. It would have been easy. You're like, okay, I attribute that one there and that one there and that one there. But there are four names attributed to Jesus, but it speaks about the Trinity. And some theologians believe this, and I just thought it was super insightful, and so I'm going to pop up a diagram onto the screen. But some theologians believe that the Holy Spirit is our wonderful counselor, which would make sense, that God the Father is our everlasting Father, that Jesus is ultimately the Prince of Peace. And when we truly encounter all three of the Trinity, that we have a relationship with the Everlasting Father, that we walk with the Wonderful Counselor, that we're connected daily to the Everlasting Father, that we truly will meet Mighty God. This mighty God who carries the weight of the world on his shoulders, who is the spiritual responsibility and the authority for your life. Truly the God that is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the great I am, the one who is able, the one who is willing. You will meet mighty God when you experience the fullness of eternal Father, or everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and wonderful Counselor, And so throughout this series, it's our hope that you would fully understand this great gift that is unto us. Today, we're going to look at wonderful counselor. And uh, I'm going to break these words down as we do sometimes here at church and look at the um, original meaning of the word. So the word wonderful is interesting. It's a word pele, which means beyond understanding, too wonderful for words. Now, when we use the word wonderful, we use it like, ah. Oh, She's such a wonderful girl. Or, that was such a wonderful holiday. But this word actually, more precisely, means a wonder or a miracle. So perhaps a better interpretation for us in the English language is the phrase, to, the phrase wonderful counselor could be read as miraculous counselor. This same word in Exodus chapter 15 Pele is used. And Exodus chapter 15 is Moses singing a worship song to God with all of the people about the fact that they just got through the Red Sea. Imagine the exhilarating, passionate, overwhelming gratitude um, standing there going like, this happened. Like the, the sea parted, 
We're free. We're heading to the promised land. And so the song wells up of gratitude and praise. And this word, Pele, is found, I think, 11 times in Exodus chapter 15, which means a wonder, an amazement, too wonderful for words, a miracle. And this is the way that wonderful counselor is described. He's not just a good counselor. He's not just somebody we go to when we need a little bit of advice. He's a miracle-working counselor. It's miraculous. It's too wonderful for words. It cannot be fully described how wonderful this counsel is. And so, whatever the problem is, all the pain, all the struggle, all the challenge that you have walked in here today with or that you will face for the rest of your lives, it will be met with a miraculous supernatural counselor that will leave you and others in awe with no words to describe it. People will say like, but, but, but how did you get that idea? How did you know to do that? How come you just took that risk? How, how did you get through that situation? How come you were able to mend that relation? But how? And you're going to know that the wonderful counselor was able to do miracles, give you ideas and insights, problems. How, how good is this news? Problems will take on a different form for you and me. For the world, when we see problems, we want to bail. It's like flight, fright, uh, or fight. Uh, but we're going to go, whoa, there's a problem. Maybe, just maybe, there's a miraculous answer. There's a miraculous solution to this. On the Bring on the problems. Maybe, maybe there are answers and there is wisdom and innovative ideas that are beyond our comprehension, a kind of intervention and creative conclusions that are new and unheard of, something that exceeds our expectation that we step back and people go, how? You got the smile on your face because you know it wasn't you. It was the wonderful counselor who parts red seas and gets a song welling up in your heart that goes, it's too good for words. It's unexplainable. This word counselor, it means this, this is not new to you, to advise, to consult, to guide, to, to deliberate, or to resolve. Quite a trendy like word at the moment in the marketplace is the word mentor. Like everybody needs a mentor. It's really good actually. So, you know, in the corporate world, you'll get somebody a little more senior and they'll mentor you through the process. And in our spiritual walk, we get mentors. It's quite a, a trendy word. It, it pretty much means the same thing as, as counselor, but I don't know if you know where the word mentor originated from. You probably do. You've, most of you have probably watched the movie, and when I mention it in a moment, you're going to go, ah. I, I, before I tell you the movie, give you a couple of glimpses or clues. So the word mentor originated from the story with the Trojan War and the account of the Trojan horse. You watch the movie, it's called Troy. And what happened is the king at the time had to go off to the Trojan War. His name was Ulysses. And he had to depart off for the Trojan War, which lasted 10 years. And so he left his son by the name of Telemachus, 
or Telemachus, and the care of his entire kingdom and household to his trusted friend, you guessed it, Mentor. And what was Mentor's job? Mentor's job was to make sure that his son, the son of the king, the son of the father, the son and the heir to the throne and the kingdom would understand how it was to walk in the ways of king. He was to show him how the king used to live, how the kingdom operated. And so we get the word mentor from this moment. You know this church, that the Holy Spirit's job is to mentor us. He's in the kingdom. He's been there from the beginning. He's been with the Father. He's been with the King. Jesus speaks to us and says, we sang about it today, you're not beggars anymore, you're royalty. You're a king. But now we need somebody to teach us how to be king. Now we need somebody to mentor us. Now we need somebody to say, when you say, I don't know if I'm good enough, he goes, whoa, 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 who told you that? That's not true. When somebody says, I, I, you think I can't do that, he goes, whoa, whoa. Let me help mentor you through this. When you feel like you don't have access to certain things, and he goes, access? You have the whole kingdom. And the mentor moves in. And so perhaps, just for a play on words, this idea of wonderful counselor, perhaps we could describe him as miraculous mentor. Somebody who knows. Somebody who's been there. Somebody who knows you better than you know yourself. Somebody who knows the keys of the kingdom, what we have access to. This is no ordinary good counselor when we need him for some cute answers. This is wonderful counselor unto us. Do you know the depth and the latitude of this gift that has been given to you? Unto us, wonderful counselor. And so... Who did this wonderful counselor come for? Good news. Luke chapter 5 verse 31 to 32 says, Jesus answered them and said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Thank God for you and me that God did not come as a wonderful counselor, a miraculous mentor to those who got everything all together. But he actually came, and this is very important to note, he came for those who are sick sinners, recognizing they're sick sinners, needing a miraculous mentor. It's very important for us to recognize that there are areas in our life that we are sick and need help. That there are areas in our life that we fall short and need his guidance. If you don't know that you and I are sick sinners that need a miraculous mentor, then we don't need a miraculous mentor. Then we'll just keep going. But we need to acknowledge, God, I, I, I need your help. I need your intervention. I need your intervention in my faith. I need it in my marriage. I need it in my finances. I need it in my purity. God, I need a miraculous mentor. To go, no, 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 no. Don't fall short. Let me show you a new way, a better way. And so Jesus, this wonderful counselor, comes. And so can I ask you this question today? Where? Where are you sick? Where do you need help? Where are you struggling, fearful, hurt, addicted, lost, lonely, 
worn out? Listen how Jesus speaks about our areas of weakness and how freely we can come to him in our time of need, when we recognize that we need a wonderful counselor. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, 16 says, For we do not have a high priest, that's speaking about Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. You ever had somebody, like, you're going through a really bad time. Like, it's, it's bad. Things are hard. Like, you are like, some of you here today, you've had bad reports, you've had a bad year, you're holding on. And then somebody says, I feel you, bro. I know your pain. And you just get angry. You're like, you don't know my pain? It's like when somebody who doesn't have any kids says, shame, bro, it must be hectic. God, would you bless them and curse them with nine children? Please, God. But like, you know when somebody says, I, I, I know your pain, I know your struggle, I, I got you. And then go on to tell their story because they really actually are not sympathizing or have no empathy. They just want to like one up on their story. You know that vibe? Jesus actually knows your pain. He says, I sympathize with you because I've been tempted in every way. I didn't sin, but I get it. I get how you want to quit. I get how you want to just throw in the towel. Like I, know, I know that feeling. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. He's like, dear God, Father, if there is any other way, I, I just, I can't do this. Sweating blood. I don't know, if, friend, what got you here today. I'm just telling you that there is a high priest. His name is Jesus, and he sympathizes in every way because he knows. It's not foreign to him. It's not trying to one-up you. He just knows. He knows the struggle. He knows the hurt. He knows what's happening behind closed doors. He knows the loneliness. He knows the brokenness. He knows the fear. He knows. And so we have a a savior. We have a wonderful counselor who can sympathize with us in every way. And then it says that, let us approach his throne with grace and confidence. You see, you and I will never be able to approach his throne with confidence, which is where we'll find our help in our time of need, we'll never do that with confidence if we continually think that he's upset or disappointed or mad or cross or, or, or distant in any way. But he says to us loudly again and again, unto us, I've given you everything. I'm a miraculous mentor. I will help you through this. Come to me in your time of need. I sympathize with you. I know how you feel. And I'm in it. I'm in the trenches with you. And I'm going to hold your hand. And we're going to walk this thing together. That's why he can say in Psalm 55 verse 22, Cast your cares onto the Lord, for he will sustain you. Cast your burdens. Cast that heavy weight that's sitting on your shoulder, friend. Cast it onto Jesus. This wonderful counselor is for broken, sick, hurting, lost, lonely, exhausted, afraid, run out of ideas, can't do it anymore, at the end of ourselves kind of people. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. Talking about counseling, let me take a moment as a church just to brag on our church. You may or may not know this, but we have a counseling department that those doors are just like revolving doors. They are helping so many people 
massive shout out to Lauren and her team who are doing exceptional work. I'm going to throw up a quick slide here to show you what the guys have been doing. These are all the different areas, abuse, anxiety, grief, marriage, overwhelm, relationships, self-care, stress, and make no mistake, there are probably hundreds of other areas. They've been able to see 53 different people, counseling hours of 392, and if you had paid 500 bucks an hour, which let me tell you, probably paying 1,000 or more for a proper counselor or psychologist, but at 500 bucks an hour, we saved this community, and I mean our church, but anybody who signed up, 196,000 rand. Haven't our counseling department done the most phenomenal job? Come on, let's just thank them. And I do just want to say this, and we're going to keep popping it up on our social media, and you can email in if you need it, but there's a crisis number that will pop up on the screen, and we are acutely aware that through the month of December and January, it can be some of the hardest times for people, which is why the church needs to be fully alive. But if you need help or you need, know somebody you need help, we partnered with this incredible team that will be on call 24 hours a day. There is no situation that is outside of God reaching out to you and helping. And so we want to make sure that we're available. And uh, again, massive shout out to Lauren and our counseling department. Let me end by saying these three very quick points. The three quick points about how does our relationship with this wonderful counselor work? The first is you need to be brutally honest. Brutally honest. There's an account where Jesus connects with this woman, and for a multitude of reasons, she's had six husbands, and she's on to the seventh man that she has a relationship with, but she's not married to him, and there's all sorts of uh, things that you can unpack around the story, but the bottom line is there must be a lot of shame, there must be a lot of guilt, there must be a lot of uh, community accusations, what it, and Jesus meets this lady, and in all of his empathy, because he's full of empathy, he says to her, where's your husband? Go get it. Now, now they probably knew. Everybody probably knew. The disciples are probably like, Jesus, you can't. You know she doesn't have a husband. What you, why are you, it's awkward. Why are you asking that question? Jesus is like, hey, let me tell you something. If you want wonderful counselor, we've got to get to the truth. My, my truth is not heavy. It's the ability to move from where you are to where you need to be. So he engages with brutal honesty and brutal truth. Let me tell you that this woman, a non-Jew, ends up being one of the first people to respond to salvation and then sees an entire town respond. Why? Because Jesus came in with truth and said, we need to move you from here to here, but it needs brutal honesty. You and I need to get brutally honest with God. See, he, he can work in any situation. The darkest, furthest, twisted, debauched, messed up, hardest, impossible situation, but it takes honesty and humility. He cannot work unless you're going to be honest and humble. So the first thing is, is that you and I need to be brutally honest. The second is that you need to listen to his voice. Mark chapter 9, verse 7 says this, a voice came from the cloud. This is my son speaking about Jesus, whom I love. Listen to him. You know, sometimes as pastors, we'll suggest people go to counseling, and, uh, and they sign up for the counseling, and they're super excited, and then I'll see them a week or two, two weeks later or a couple of weeks later, and I'll go, hey, how's, how's the counseling going? And they go, yeah. And I'm like, no, wait, hold on. You knew you had a big problem. Not heavy, but you knew you had a big problem. 
You knew it needed sorting out, yes? Yes. Okay, how's the counseling going? Oh, I went to one or two, it didn't really work for me. Okay, wait. Hold on. I know how counseling goes, because I've sat with Lauren. We suggest eight weeks as a starting point. You need to give it time. See, some of us go to the wonderful counselor, and we give him a hand. We give him a Hail Mary, throw it out, prayer, God just please sort it out. He's like, mate, you need help. Maybe you haven't been honest enough with yourself. You need help. You need big help. Which means you need to give me quantities of time where you sit with the wonderful counselor in the presence of God and you listen to what he has to say. In fact, there's a, 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 another scripture that's going to come up. I think it's in John. It says that my sheep listen to my voice. And then it goes on to say that they are able to, they, I know them and they're able to follow me. You see, you can't follow Jesus unless you listen to his voice. You can't walk in the ways of God unless you're listening to God. In fact, some versions say it like this. They say, not my sheep listen to my voice. They say, my sheep hear my voice. There's a very big difference between listening and hearing. The longer you listen, the more you're able to hear. So I've got three kids. They're all scattered down the passage in their bedrooms. I can wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I can hear which one is crying. I mean, it's just crying. But I, but I can recognize that's Roman. That's Orlando. Because I've spent enough time with them. The Lord God Almighty knows I've heard them cry enough to be able to recognize their voice. See, I don't think the problem is, I don't think the issue is so much that God is not speaking, but that we are not listening. Can I say that again? Sometimes we're like, God! Maybe the issue isn't so much that God is not speaking, but that we are not listening. You know, when I chatted to Law this week just to get some insight around counseling, oh, she's on stage. Um, she sent me a, a beautiful write-up about the safe place and what the, the environment they're trying to create. And all of that is great. And it's absolutely who the wonderful counselor is. But if all counseling was, was you bearing vulnerably and honestly your soul and never listening to any counsel, it's a total waste of time, friend. Let me just tell you that and save our counseling department many, many hours. You have to listen. We cannot go to this miraculous mentor, this wonderful counselor, the one who knows the kingdom, the one who knows the Father, the one who knows you, and, and not listen. And then once we listen, we have to do what he says. Many of us have actually sat, I won't be too heavy here, but maybe like our friend who was in her seventh relationship, who needed a little bit of awkward truth. Many of you have sat in many sermons. You've read your Bible, you've had wise counsel. You know that there are areas that God has been speaking to you about. You need to do them. You need to obey God. You need to do what He says. This wonderful counselor, 
this miraculous mentor? Be honest, church. Nothing wonderful will take place unless you do what he says. Imagine unto us this wonderful counselor, this miraculous mentor is given so lavishly. And then the ball's in our court. Will you listen? Will you carve out that time? And then will you walk in obedience? Because when you do, friend, you and I will sit back and go, I don't, I don't, I don't know how you did it. It's quite miraculous. I parted no Red Seas in yet. I stand here and I, I saw with my own eyes unto us. And I didn't know this, but I had this message stirring and Hilton and I have been chatting about the series and brought it up at a meeting maybe like, I don't know, six weeks ago, Christmas series. And Hilton just looks at me and goes, you heard Lauren's song? I know. I haven't heard it. Obviously, we heard two weeks ago this beautiful song about this wonderful counselor, this eternal father, this everlasting father, this prince of peace. And friend, I want to invite you, perhaps for the very first time, perhaps for the hundredth time, to sit in the presence of God, to stay seated, and let this song wash over you and perhaps speak, and then listen, and then obey as God begins to prompt and you see this miraculous mentor, this wonderful counselor do something in your heart.